Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer as always is Terrence Malagone. Our guest this week is a returning one. It is Ben Strauss. He is a sports and media reporter for the Washington Post. If you read the Washington Post and are a sports media fan or someone interested in the sports media, you are certainly familiar with Ben Strauss's work. He has been doing some really interesting things for the Washington Post, and he joins us today on the Sports Media Podcast. Welcome back, Ben. Hey, thanks for having me, Richard. So, Ben, listen, I know you work for the August Washington Post, you know, Democracy Dies in Darkness, Saving the Universe, and I'm a paid subscriber, so thank you for that. (laughs) Thank you for those dollars. You're welcome. Did you happen to see the news break today, Ben, when it comes to wrestling? that USA Network will be airing NXT at the same time as Turner will be airing uh, AEW. And that is sort of a, uh, brings or harkens back the days of the Monday Night Wars between Turner and uh, and the WWE uh, with the WCW and WWE. I don't know if you are a wrestling fan, Ben, but this, this in the wrestling world today is huge news, which combines with, um, huge news in the sports media. This is going to be a really interesting story. I saw the news, and I uh, I don't know if I have an informed take on it. Well, of course you don't. You work for the Washington <laughs> Post. You're dealing with so much more interesting, uh, interesting and important information. So you let you let the scrubs like me deal with this. This is big, though, Ben. In the wrestling world, um, not only is it just sort of a fun story, personality wise, but it's actually a really interesting sports media story because it's two entities going against each other. One is sort of the you know, the billion dollar entity, the authority in the WWE and AEW is kind of a independent upstart to try to uh, produce a new kind of wrestling. So if the post ever lets you write about this, it's actually a pretty interesting story. Like, What's the ramification, right? Is it, do you think that they have a chance? I think, um, well, I think AEW has uh, great potential to draw an audience on Turner. And because they're sort of providing a different kind of wrestling than what WWE does. The thing is, the WWE is such a powerful machine. NXT might arguably be their best product. and It's not their most famous product, but their best product. And so it's going to be an interesting, I think it's an interesting sports media story just in terms of what viewership both get. Uh, can AEW establish itself now that the WWE is placing programming against it? And lastly, the WWE sort of made public statements that they didn't consider AEW a competitor, and strategically they just changed that by placing NXT on USA Network, where uh, AEW is going to be on Turner. But that's one to watch. Is it is it a case of like either or, or you know, there's plenty of fans to keep both of these enterprises afloat pretty, you know, robustly. Yeah, I think there's fans to keep both enterprises uh, afloat, but um, the question will be. Viewership wise, can really can AEW get enough viewership to make whatever you know make whatever sort of uh, promises or expectations that Turner has for them? But it's going to be really interesting because it's 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 the first time that at least publicly WWE I wouldn't call them a competitor, but at least they've had sort of alternative programming that's not owned by WWE on a mainstream place. So you got it. My interest is peaked. All right, Ben. I'm, I threw you off there, and that's my apologies. I'm a terrible host. So now we'll move back on to terra firma here. Um, the probably among the biggest sports media news involving front-facing people, invo- involving personalities, are the ships at NBA 
countdown. Um, Rachel Nichols and (laughs) Michelle, Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor will be co-hosting NBA countdown while Michelle Beadle, who has hosted that show in 2016, will no longer be the host. Uh, Credit to Sports by Brooks, who first noted uh, about a month ago that Michelle Beadle was on her way out of that show. The Athletic reported that this was going to be a couple days ago, that this would be um, how ESPN is going to constitute it. They're going to split the show between those two hosts. Chauncey Billups moves from uh, the studio show to being a game analyst for ESPN, uh, which The Athletic reported. Uh, New York Post and LA Times reported that Billups is going to be working for the Clippers as a TV game analyst. So it's going to be interesting to watch his career shift to be in game analyst. I think he's going to be very good at that, actually. Jalen Rose remains on the show, and Paul Pierce's status is up in the air, both, I think, for returning to ESPN as well as returning to Countdown. So, Ben, that sets everything up, but the larger story on this is that ESPN, (laughs) if there's one consistent thing about NBA Countdown, it's change. And they continue to change this show. They continue to try to figure out what will work. How do you view the immediate news and then sort of longitudinal, they're continuing to f- try to figure out a way to have a pregame and postgame NBA show. Yeah, I think it's you could probably make a pretty good who's who of who's been on the show over the years. Everybody from Bill Simmons to Magic Johnson to, you know, last year's cast of Beatle Billups. Um, I think Jalen Jalen Rose is the, the only constant um through the years. So he's like, you know, the the one survivor. Um it seems like it's all about sort of the the one great basketball studio show or, or sort of thought of to be the great, great NBA studio show is inside the NBA. And when you have uh, Barkley and, and Kenny Smith, um, it's sort of this, it's been this musical chairs of trying to compete with that show for years now. Uh, and so you'll get, you know, take number six or seven or whatever this is. Um, next year. And Rachel Nichols is really good. Um, I think we talk about, you know, Woj, or Adrian Woj Narowski is, you know, power center of the NBA. Nichols, I think, has her own power center. If he's breaking news, if you, you know, want to do a newsmaking interview, you go to Rachel Nichols. Um, you know, whether you're LeBron, you know, AD, um, any of these guys. And, and she's hosted um, the afternoon show for a while. Um, and so I, I think... You know, if you want somebody that resonates with an NBA audience, um, it's it's hard to you know pick somebody better than Rachel Nichols. I think Maria, Maria Taylor too, um, with her um, college football stuff. So I, you know, particularly Nichols and Taylor too. I, I would think that you know, if you're an NBA fan, this is an upgrade for you. It's interesting, Ben, in that the the news certainly um, does not surprise me that Rachel Nichols is going to get a bigger role when it comes to ESPN's sort of NBA coverage. And I think you hit on it. I think she's established herself at that network as their, you know, they're sort of their, Stephen A. Smith is one pole on the NBA. Rachel Nichols is sort of the the other pole for different reasons. They really like the jump, which has become uh, this one of the, you know, sort of the smart fans television NBA show. And you see all the people who are associated with ESPN and NBA coverage on the jump. So it seemed pretty clear that that show had become something very important to them. And then, Ben, this is just my own aside. The NBA Finals, as you know, happened to be in Toronto where I live. And I saw Rachel Nichols 
at the NBA Finals. And I'm going to be talking to a pretty high, uh, highly ranked ESPN management person who was there. And Rachel Nichols was in the distance talking to, I honestly don't remember, but it was like a Draymond Green, Steph Curry type. And the the CSPN official just noted, like, you know, how impressed said, N- said ESPN official was with Rachel's connections to NBA stars. And, and just in this conversation, Ben, you know, when you talk to somebody sort of in management, you get the impression like, man, th- this is someone in management who really, really likes this talent. So, you know, on top of everything else, I think it was became, becoming very clear that they want to they wanna make Rachel Nichols – I feel like their signature voice on the NBA, and you are correct. It is she has a long relationship given her work at Turner and CNN and elsewhere with NBA stars, uh, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade. Uh, you know they're very very tight with her. They trust her. You know Rachel sometimes gets accused of being too in with clutch sports, but my God, it's the NBA. Everybody sort of picks a side when it comes to agents and stuff like that. So I think it's going to turn out to be. I think at least content-wise, been a good move. Here's the question I have for you, though. And that is, that show, NBA Countdown, particularly when it comes to the postseason, has always befuddled me. And the reason it befuddles me is ESPN's management, unlike Turner, which always has the inside the NBA guys, like, you know the game's over, they're going to the inside the NBA guys. At ESPN, it was never, the game's over, we're going to Countdown. It was, the game's over, and now Michael Wilbon and Stephen A. Smith are going to talk. And maybe Scott Van Pelt's going to come on. And maybe we'll go to Countdown. You know what I mean, Ben? It's, it's never been like the de facto postseason show. It's always sort of been, it'll always be there for you before the game. But after the game, there seemed to be an odd pecking order at ESPN. And that show never seemed to be at the top. And I wonder now if Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor are the co-hosts. Will they finally commit to... This is our brand before and after games, particularly big games, and that's who you're going to see. Yeah, I think it probably speaks to like a couple of things, scheduling and confidence in the show, right? If you have, you know, the late game, the late playoff game, and you have, you know, this really popular show, you know, the Scott Van Pelt Sports Center, um, to come on right after, I don't, I don't know how you reconcile that, right? If you, you're bumping, you know, Van Pelt into like, you know, the middle of the night when you have, you know, one of these really late playoff games. Um, I don't know how that'll work, but I guess in, in, I think in other situations you could sort of say, um, or when it was Wilbon and, and Stephen A, you could say, you know, why wouldn't you go to your NBA show? And that's probably a lack of confidence in the show. And I bet you'll see, you know, Stephen A involved in some capacity um, in the new version of this. And so, you know, you have just a, another power center of, of NBA, you know, punditry, NBA um, gravitational force that's going to be part of this. So, you know, when you talk about splitting up and, and you know, where we're we going for our NBA content, you know, if you put those people on uh, the show, uh, you have less of an issue of um, trying to figure out what to do after the game's over. Yeah, I think you're right about Stephen A. Um, that would, uh, that, that seemingly, I, I feel like I even read that somewhere. Oh, maybe the big lead, Ryan Glass Beagle, uh, uh, et cetera. Uh, but that seems to be, that seems to totally make sense uh, in terms of uh, getting him part of the, the NBA countdown, the official NBA countdown family. Um, let's talk about Michelle Beadle before we move on to another subject. My reporting, Ben, uh, suggests that ESPN and Michelle Beadle's camp are still in the midst of figuring out how this end game will be. 
but I would say it's more probable than not that there'll be some kind of settlement and that Michelle Beadle will be pursuing work outside of ESPN. Um, she's had a pretty interesting career in terms of um, some super highs, uh, some professional lows, although I would consider almost everything a high given that she's gotten paid and I feel like she's worked the system fantastic uh, to her benefit, which is what you want talent to do. Um, and I don't think the zone is a crazy thought, Ben, given that Sports by Brooks reported that they're interested in some kind of NBA red zone show. She has connections, of course, with John Skipper. John Skipper hired Jamie Horowitz from Fox Sports after Fox Sports fired him amid a um, uh, sexual harassment probe. And Beetle worked for Jamie Horowitz at Sports Nation. So those dots would seem to be connected pretty easily if they're interested in in that move. I also think Beetle would have other options elsewhere in a in a large universe of content. But um, but her career, if it does end at ESPN, um, that was a comment at one time as high as you can get as talent at ESPN, and it could end or it looks to be ending pretty quietly. Yeah, I think um, I think Andrew uh, Marshan at the Post wrote this. Um, that you can see, you know, who Skipper liked and who Patero likes now. Um, and Beetle is a Skipper favorite, and uh, she, you know, is not held in the same esteem by uh, the new regime. I think she came under a lot of fire, I think, from Get Up. I think when those salaries came out, um, you know, there was a story about uh, her and Jalen and, and Greenberg, and I think. You know, I think sometimes it's a little unfair when, you know, people judge you by your contract because I think everybody should maximize what they're worth. And, you know, whatever someone is willing to pay you, that's what you're worth. And so I think she took perhaps a little extra heat because she was making a lot of money. It became very public. Um, but I'm sort of of the belief that, you know, anybody who gets paid, you know, in this business, um, that's not necessarily grounds for criticism. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and it feels like sometimes women take more criticism than men in the sports media when their salaries go public. I mean, you are, you are worth as much as somebody is willing to pay you is sort of basically the, the precept of, of that. Um, you can certainly make a judgment as to whether, you know, that person is like, I guess, quote unquote, worth the money in the same way we do that with athletes. But you know, shouldn't begrudge even people I loathe, like Skip Bayless, if they're, if someone like Fox Sports is going to pay him $6 million a year, well, that's what he's worth. So, um, and then you can, I guess, as a viewer, make the judgment whether someone is worth that kind of money. But, uh, but yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, she was a high profile person. She got paid and uh, good for her. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see. I mean, this story's not over. And we'll sort of see how things shake out with NBA countdown and who comes in um, if they decide to do different staffing for different days of the week. And that's one um, that will be really interesting to watch. Well, I guess that's another interesting question, sort of if you're trying to build this really strong brand uh, or sort of this go-to show, you know, does it make it harder if you're shuffling hosts in or out, you know? Um, I I wonder if that's like a long-term solution or if at some point you have to pick a host because sort of, you know, the appointment viewing and getting, you know, X person's take or, or sort of the familiarity with one person on that show and the camaraderie and, you know, the, you know, the bottom of the show, um, 
does it work better with one person? Is it harder to sort of create all of that when you're cycling in, you know, two different hosts? I, I wonder about that. Yeah, no, that's a good question, and it'll be interesting to see if that eventually shakes out. Where, I mean, I would think the the likelihood is it's if if there's a singular host, it's going to be Rachel Nichols or a primary host, just because Maria Taylor has other things that she does, including college football and uh, women's college basketball, called uh, etc. But th- it, that is one worth watching. What is clear is that ESPN likes both uh, very much, and I think they'll continue to get high profile assignments for sure. Um, one of the big stories, I mean, you know, big story is sort of a relative, but one of one of the sort of the sports media stories of the week last week, man, was Megan Greenwell, the uh, editor in chief of Deadspin, leaving that site. She is now headed for Wired. Uh, this all comes uh, after April. The um, the sort of the collection of former Gawker sites were sold by Univision to the private equity firm Great Hill Partner. And ever since then, um, that has been a pretty horrific marriage between, uh, particularly between Deadspin site and the leadership of Geo Media. And so, you've written a lot about Deadspin, um, including the, you know, the the sale of Deadspin from Univision to this uh, to this equity firm. I could just tell you historically, whenever a content place goes to an equity firm, it almost always ends bad. Uh, they're not, in my opinion, interested in journalism or. Or, or interested in editorial, they're interested in profit, and it just it it never seems to sort of lead to a to a good place. So, what do you make of? I, I imagine you can't be that surprised that Greenwell left Deadspin. And then, secondly, Ben, if I had to guess, I, I think we're going to see a mass exodus of Deadspin writers over the next six months. I, I'm not reporting that; that's just my educated analysis. But you've covered them far more than I have. What do you make of all this? Well, I, I guess the first and foremost, I think it's sad what's happening um, to Deadspin. I think the statement that, you know, Great Hill Partners and this Jim Spanfeller is the CEO's name, the statement they released um, after Greenwell um, announced that she was leaving um, was was pretty absurd. You know, I think the, the statement said something like, you know, Deadspin is going to be laser focused on serving readers, sports news or, you know, something to that effect. Um, I think anyone who you know has ever read Deadspin or, or has even knows anything about it knows that isn't really you know what makes Deadspin Deadspin. So to buy that site um, and and not understand what it was, or or um, you know to tell the staff that they can't use messaging apps like WhatsApp or Signal um, just seems it, it seems so counter to what it it is um, and. I guess Stan Feller is going to install a new editor to replace Greenwell. Um, and you listen to how he talks and you listen to how the staff talks. I mean, it seems like an impossible job to sort of marry, you know, the visions of, of what the site thinks it is and what, you know, Stan Feller thinks the site should be. And um, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's sad because I don't think it, you know, I think you're right. I don't think it portends necessarily super well for, the future of it. And, uh, I think it's a shame. I think, um, you know, I think a lot of people think a lot of things about Deadspin, but I think if, you know, there is no Deadspin, I think that's a a loss for sports media. Yeah. I mean, listen, I have, I certainly have my issues with them. Uh, They've certainly blasted me many times, but I agree with that statement. I think, uh, um, I think a sports media universe without them would be, would be would be 
far lesser. Um, but I have to be honest with you, Ben. I, I just I cannot see any people who are sort of part of the Greenwell universe staying with them. Uh, I just I, it's not the site they're going to want to be part of. And I think once your editor in chief has essentially signaled that she cannot work under that kind of system, I think all the people who are sort of prominent current Deadspin writers. I, I think they're going to leave. Uh, the question will be, would you leave without another job? That's always a tricky one when it comes to the media universe in 2019. But I, I, I would I would really be stunned if six months from now, most of the people who've written for that site for a long time are there. But, uh, but we will see. I mean, the other thing is, I mean, at least in the short term, they do have some union protections. Um, True. That they negotiated before the sale. So I don't know if it would happen immediately. And I think sort of, you know, to to unions credit, it seems like they'll, you know, sort of fight tooth and nail as much as they can for as long as they can, but I don't know exactly how long the contract lasts and then sort of what happens at the end of that contract. Um, that's a good, very good point. That's, 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 a, that's, a, that's, that's sort of the question, but I, I think as long as whatever the, the union protections they have seem to be, um, you know, fairly, uh, important and, and, you know, the unions are putting out statements as they've been, you know, battling upper management. And so um, while they have those, perhaps there isn't, you know, some, you know, giant flip. And so they're, you know, protected for a little while. But what happens when that contract runs out? I'm not sure. Yeah. It's one thing also to have union protection. It's another thing not to be doing the content you want to do. But but yeah, I think in ter- I don't think anybody per se will be fired. Uh, for cause, that would be a tough one for them to win. But, right. but no, yeah. I guess I think the union protection sort of will let them write what they want. We'll see for that duration. Yeah. Uh, that, right? That's that's I think that's going to be, you know, management can do a lot of things though to screw with that. So we'll see. We'll see on that. But I know what you're saying. I you know you'd, I'd have to look at the union contract specifically. But yeah, there there seem to be some protections. Right. I don't know exactly what's in it either. Yeah, there seem to be some protections about con- uh, protecting content. We'll see. We'll see on that. Um, the ACC Network launches. Uh, I should know this. Is it this week? I think so. Thursday. All right. Whenever we will. <laughs> whenever the hell it launches. ACC. What does that say about the ACC Network? Well, I, I'll, I'll 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 take the hit and just say that I'm in Toronto and and that, that's why I'm uh, I'm I'm not familiar. I, I'll I'll talk myself uh, around this as I search for it, uh, and then I'll be able to correct myself on this podcast. We'll never edit this out because I always like. Uh, Making myself look dumb if I'm uh, if I don't know the answers. But um, so this is go okay. It's launching this week, Ben. So it was sort of right August twenty second. And so, uh, what do you think uh, about uh, what do you what do you think about the? I think in ACC country, obviously, I understand the interest of it. And you know, if you're like a diehard in the Triangle area, um, you know, you or like Clemson, you're going to be into those kind of sports or not. But it's always kind of hard to figure out like do these kind of conferences have reach outside of uh of acc country and two obviously like everything else it's all about distribution will they get enough distributors um for the acc network um what has been proven though with the big 10 network certainly in the sec network ben is um there's money to be made money to be made for the uh the 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 network itself and money to be made for the conference schools given the amount of money that the you know, the ESPNs and the Foxes and the like will, will, will pay for this content. Yeah. I mean, I guess also, right. It's ESPN. So the production value can be good. I think the content on the network will be fine. Um, I think the real question is, you know, how do you distribute the network in 2019 over linear TV? Yep. And I guess they, they announced a deal with charter. So that's the number two, uh, 
distributor cable company, um, but they don't have Comcast yet. And that'll be sort of, to me, the most interesting thing about the network is do they get a deal with Comcast and sort of how big is the geographic footprint? Because obviously in North Carolina, they're going to want the ACC network, but, you know, ESPN was taking out ads in New York City um, within the last couple of months, uh, sort of promoting the network, right? Obviously it's an ad campaign to, you know, get buy-in from the cable companies. And I just don't know if anybody, you know, I know Boston College is, is around there in Syracuse. There's probably some people in New York, but I don't know if that many people in New York City are going to care about the ACC network um, and are going to want to, you know, you're going to get an outcry that, you know, Comcast or Charter or anybody needs to put this on the basic cable package. I'm just, uh, maybe, but, I, you know, it, it was a lot easier to launch a linear TV network 10 years ago than it is today. Yeah, I, first of all, I, unless you are a ACC alum and a diehard ACC fan, I don't think that network has any interest in, a, in New York City or Philly, Chicago, you know, these major cities that don't have any connection to the to the ACC. Uh, but, you know, again, a regional network can certainly make a ton of money, especially if you own the content as ESPN does. And one thing on the content end, Ben, it's a great place for young people to sort of get their uh, experience and to grind it out and to learn new things. And then almost as a, um, I wouldn't call it a minor league, but I would call it like a sort of a, a filter system into ESPN. So like the Longhorn Network and like the SEC Network, you're going to see a lot of people who were on air at those networks eventually make their way to ESPN in prominent roles. Maria Taylor, perfect example of uh, that, Laura Rutledge. So that, that's going to happen with the ACC Network, uh, what its success will be. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, all right. The topic I want to get to before we get out of here that I know you are interested in is um, is women's – the coverage of the Women's World Cup, the WNBA, and NWSL, and as you sort of sent me in a direct message, has this summer seen us turn a corner when it comes to media coverage? That's a tough question, man, because I see a, a ton of positives and a ton of – and anybody who listens to this podcast knows I'm a huge fan of women's sports. I covered Women's Basketball Sports Illustrated for 20 years, covered many Olympics uh, with a focus on women – women's sports and worked for SI's, uh, you know, rest, may it rest in peace, women mag, women's magazine. So when it comes to women's soccer, um, it's been an excellent summer in terms of the coverage for the Women's World Cup and for NWSL. Uh, I'm proud of the Athletic for assigning uh, writers to every WNBA team, including national writers. And so we've seen, and SB Nation and some others have really, uh, really gone out and covered the NBA, the WNBA pretty hard. But Ben, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm willing to sort of say that like we've turned a corner here because there's still a ton of cities that don't cover the WNBA, uh, including New York City's major papers don't send a reporter to every WNBA game. Uh, the NWSL, uh, as the weeks have gone on, it feels like some of that coverage has dropped off. And when it comes to women's soccer, I feel like the biggest coverage of that is the um, are their legal proceedings against U.S. soccer. So I see some great signs, but I also see much of the same. How do you view it? Uh, I think that's fair. I think what I, I, I think the Women's World Cup was sort of a, a noteworthy event for the Women's World Cup. I think 
moving forward, you're going to see that covered, you know, really like the men's world cup. Um, I don't think that quite happened until this year. I think there were a number of credentialed journalists, um, in France and, and Fox put, you know, all sorts of games on, um, broadcast television, which I hadn't done before. Um, and the interest, the number of people watching around the world, um, sort of responded in a, you know, if you build it, they will come sort of way. So I think the women's world cup, sort of how we think about it and how, you know, media entities think about it has changed, um, you know, for the better. Um, and I don't think we'll go back to that being sort of treated as a, you know, step cousin event to the men's world cup. Like there's money to be made. Sponsors are really into it. Um, and so I, I think it was a really big deal for the women's world cup, sort of what the answer beyond that is. I, I don't know if I did a piece a couple of weeks ago about the WNBA and, and you can see media organizations, whether it's the athletic or, you know, CBS sports network, you know, sort of dipping their toes in the water in terms of more coverage of women's sports. And I guess to me, it feels more like, you know, as we, you know, think about gender equity, you know, as a larger society that there's, you know, sort of a moral imperative to, to sort of do a little more than, you know, what entities have done previously. But I don't know if it necessarily means, you know, they're diving in, you know, full bore, you know, belly flopping into the pool. Um, it's more of, you know, we we think this is the right thing to do and, you know, we're sort of going to try it out. Um, you know, the athletic, what they are doing is good, you know, 12 writers and three national writers. Um, but sort of when you think about, you know, the wider expansion of the athletic and, you know, going into Britain and, you know, spending lots of money, you know, none of those writers are full time. And so I hope that, you know, by next year that there is, you know, enough of a return on the investment to make those jobs, um, a little more stable and a little more lucrative. Um, so I, I do think the women's world cup has, you know, jumped the ship in, in some way, like in the, in a good way. I don't know what the carryover is for the other sports, although it does seem like we're seeing you know, some movement in, in a good direction. What? Yeah. First of all, I hope I, I, you know, this will not be my decision, but I totally support the, the athletic doing the WNBA again, uh, next year. I hope they, I, I really hope they do that. How have you viewed the Washington post in terms of its coverage, let's say of, uh, the mystics, local coverage like University of Maryland women's sports. I, I always presume that the Washington Post will do will cover a national team when it's at a major event like uh like the Women's World Cup. You'll probably send a writer, I would imagine, to the US Open to cover both the men and women. But do you how have you found your own organization and do you think there's been a an increase in terms of coverage for the at least the women's teams within the Washington DC, Maryland area? Yeah, I think it's a totally fair question. I don't think the post is immune to sort of these larger questions at all, right? Sort of what is, you know, what are the clicks that we're going to get from this? What is the investment? And sort of like what is the, you know, the quote unquote right thing to do? Um, we have Ava Wallace as the Mystics writer. Um, and, you know, she did some, covers every home game, goes to many of the practices. So I think the Mystics coverage in particular is, is really, really good um, in the post. And, Ghost has traveled. I don't think we're traveling to every game, but um, some games. Um, and so I think the Mystics coverage in particular is really good. 
Um, and I know um, Emily Giambalvo has, has covered uh, women's sports at Maryland in addition to uh, the men's beat. So I think sort of in the, the local spheres, um, you know, the Post has done a pretty good job, but I don't think that, you know, we're immune by any stretch from, you know, those other questions that we were talking about. I'll tell you one thing that I think is going to be a growth area um, for whoever does it, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's ESPN, whether it's The Athletic, who, who, Washington Post, whoever does it. But the podcast space continues to grow and continues to be monetized more, which means obviously news organizations are going to invest in it. But Ben, you know what has really not been touched at all? And that is serialized stories in sports, whether true crime or elsewhere, that involve women's sports. We've seen like um, Ray Carruth, Charlotte Observer, Aaron Hernandez, Boston Globe. Mm-hmm. I know SI did something on Steve McNair, uh, ESPN's 30 mm-hmm. for 30 podcast uh, today just came out with Donald Sterling. Very, with the I don't, I give my old buddy Grant Wall credit. I know he did this with the U.S. women's team, I think, in '99. But like the, the that is rife for, uh, for somebody to just own that space. Whether you did like a six part series on like the dominance of the U.S. women's uh, basketball team, or you like just took one year in the WNBA and did like a six part episode on like the greatest year in the WNBA where you did a six part episode or probably a 20 part episode on like the Williams sisters. But I feel like that is an area that someone's going to own. Um, the serialized kind of audio high end audio podcasts on women's sports stories. Cause no one right now, at least from what I've seen is doing that. There are women's sports podcasts, but very few, you know what I'm saying? You know, very few of the serialized ones where it's, where it covers, like a singular topic over the course of multiple episodes. Yeah, no, Alex Morgan sort of announced, I think somewhat recently earlier in the wake of the World Cup, that she was interested in a media company to sort of share um, stories about women, you know, particularly for uh, young girls. Um, I guess with the WNBA, which has always, it seems always a little counterintuitive to me, is, um, as I understand it, I think their TV audience skews toward like older men are the more so than, than women watching the sport. Um, and so I think that league has sort of wondered or struggled or at least thought about sort of how do we, you know, make inroads into a younger um, female audience. And I think that some of the social media you've seen and some of the campaigns and the rebranding they've done this year have been targeted at that. Um, but yeah, I guess, yeah, I mean, serial podcasts, I think are, are great. And I guess the, the question that always comes up and I don't have the answer is sort of like, do you want women's coverage integrated into larger, you know, sports coverage, or do you want it, you know, in a separate vertical, um, you know, which highlights it, but also, you know, keeps it separate. And, you know, I, you know, talking to people in the industry and, you know, people who cover women's sports, I don't, I don't have the best answer for that. Yeah. It's a tough one. I, I generally tend to, I think it should be with, I don't know if I like I, I I don't know if I like the idea of any kind of like women's sports tab. WNBA is different. Women's soccer would be different, but I, I'm not one who sort of supports like a women's sports tab. Uh, admit everything else. I think the coverage should be sort of interspersed with with everything. But it's a it's a topic I know that a lot of uh, sports journalists have sort of wrestled with, and I know it was a very big topic for a long time at ESPN prior to ESPNW. Um, but, uh, but again, support, uh, if you're a women's sports fan, the best way to support 
is to sort of uh, you know uh, engage in the content, pay for the content, and and that will continue the content. All right, Ben, is there anything else uh, you want to hit before I uh, before I let you out of here? You probably have to go to the Iowa State Fair and cover some campaign or something like that at this point. Got <laughs> to cover who's eating which corn dog. I know. I had Chelsea Janes on last week. Your colleague, she's she's all over that. Uh, that space now after covering the nationals. So, you know, you, you've got your, yeah, it's pretty impressive to go from the Nats beat to the national presidential. Politics. Oh yeah. She's, um, she's, 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 she's really, really, uh, terrific and smart. And, um, and, uh, that is, that is an impressive shift and she's done it really, really well. Does that mean Ben that, uh, come 2022, you'll be covering like the, well, I don't know, the Cory Booker campaign or, 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 or some other campaign. <laughs> Um, I, uh, I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> you're sticking but, with this, you're sticking yeah, with the sports media. Oh, you got it. If I'm to post is eliminating its sports section, we're only doing politics, then absolutely sign me up for the Cory Booker campaign. Yeah. But next time you're on, we'll talk more about, I, 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 I gave you a break here, a respite from the ESPN politics, your boy, Jimmy Pataro, who you go to baseball games with. I gave you a break on this one to not, uh to delve into that. We'll do that next. We'll, we'll do that in a future podcast because, uh, bo- uh both no, I think the world has heard plenty about ESPN and politics. Yeah. We can bo- do that again. Both, I'm sure it'll come up again. Both of us know that as the 2020, as we get closer to the, um, 2020 election in November, uh, that's going to be a major, major issue as the campaigns get pretty toxic. And I think it's gonna be very hard for ESPN to avoid their staff, when it comes to commenting on this stuff, but we'll do that another time. All right, Ben Strauss is a sports, uh, he is a, a sports and media reporter, very important and there, sports and media reporter for the Washington Post. When you go to the Washington Post, which uh, is, um, and I'm not saying this because Ben is here, in my opinion, the best newspaper in the country, uh, just uh, Google Ben's name into a search engine and you can pull out all his uh, stuff once you go into the post and click on his name he's been doing some really really interesting work and and covers a lot of the same landscape that i do uh ben very good of you to come on um and join me today on the sports media podcast and uh we will continue this conversation again keep up the great work and thanks for joining me today thanks man take care okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available h-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details hyundai there's joy in every journey all right, back in the studio. My thanks to uh, Ben Strauss of the Washington Post. We do a uh, uh, short podcast today. I like to change it up every now and then. So, you know, do under an hour sometimes, over an hour sometimes. If you are interested in this kind of content, before Ben Strauss, we had ESPN's Don Van Natta and Chelsea Janes, the aforementioned Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post. Don Van Natta talked about working um, on investigations at ESPN as well as his new docuseries, Backstory. Chelsea Janes, of course, switching from the Nationals beat to uh, politics, covering Kamala Harris. Before that, John Oran on the NFL and college football's viewership. Before that, James Andrew Miller and Jim Trotter on Dan Lebertard at ESPN. We had a boxing roundtable with Mike Coppinger and Lance Pugmire. Conrad Thompson, the uh, wrestling pod father, talking about his podcast, Chris Herring of 538. We did an exit interview with Bob Lee. And then just go down the list of all our guests from Taylor Twelman to Taylor Rooks and Jim Ross to Bruce Feldman. At Nan Burke. Again, if you're uh, if you're interested in this stuff, please leave us a review 
on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play. And uh, that's how the podcast continues. All right, my thanks. Terrence Malagone back in the uh, producing chair today. Uh, great, to be, great to be back with him. My thanks to Cadence 13, everybody there, Spencer Brown, Chris Corcoran, John McDermott, et cetera. And, uh, and we'll see you next time on the Sports Media with Richard Deitch podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.